0: Chapter 50 of Science in Short Chapters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Kadia Battersby Science in Short Chapters by W. Matthew Williams. Chapter 50. Solids, Liquids and Gases. Part 1. The growth of accurate knowledge is continually narrowing and often obliterating the broad lines of distinction that have been drawn between different classes of things. I well remember when our naturalists regarded their species of plants and animals as fundamental and inviolable institutions, separated by well-defined boundaries that could not be crossed. Darwin has upset all this, and now we cannot even draw a clear, sharp line between the animal and vegetable kingdoms the chemist is even crossing the boundary between these and the mineral kingdom by refuting the once positive dictum that organic substances i e the compounds ordinarily formed in the course of vegetable and animal growth cannot be produced directly from dead matter by any chemical device many of such organic compounds are now made in the laboratory from mineral materials we all know broadly what are the differences between solids liquids and gases and until lately they have been very positively described as the three distinct states or modes of existence of matter mr crook suggests a fourth i will not discuss this at present but merely consider the three old established claimants to distinctive existence a solid is usually defined as a body made up of particles which hold together rigidly or immovably in contradistinction to a fluid of which the particles move freely over each other fluids in the general term including both gases and liquids both being alike as regards to mobility of their particles, at present let us confine our attention to liquids and solids. The theoretical or perfect fluid which is imagined by the mathematician as the basis of certain abstract reasoning has no real existence. He assumes, and the assumption is legitimate and desirable, providing its imaginary character is always remembered, that the supposed particles move upon each other with perfect freedom, without any friction or other impediment. But as a matter of fact all liquids exert some amount of resistance to their own flowing they are more or less viscous have more or less of that sluggishness in their obedience to the law of finding their own level which we see so plainly displayed by treacle or castor oil this viscosity added to the friction of the liquid against the solid on which it rests or in which it is enclosed may become even in the case of water a formidable obstacle to its flow thus if we make a hole in the side of a tank at a depth of sixteen feet below the surface the water will spout from that hole at a rate of thirty-two feet per second but if we connect with this hole a long horizontal pipe of the same internal diameter as the hole and then observe the flow from the outlet of the pipe we shall find its velocity visibly diminished and we shall be greatly deceived if we make arrangements for carrying swift flowing water thus to any great distances three or four years ago an attempt was made to supersede the water carts of london by laying down on each side of the road a horizontal pipe perforated with a row of holes opening towards the horseway the water was to be turned on and from these holes it was to jet out to the middle of the road from each side and thus water it all i watched the experiment made near the bank of england instead of spouting across the road from all these holes as it would have done from any one of them it merely dribbled the reason being that in order to supply them all the water must run through the whole of the long pipe with considerable velocity and the viscosity and friction to overcome in doing this nearly exhausted the whole force of water-head pressure many other similar blunders have been made by those who have sought to convey water-power to any distance by means of a pipe of such diameter as should demand a rapid flow through a long pipe the resistance which water offers to the stroke of the swimmer or the pull of the rower is partly due to its viscosity and partly to the uplifting or displacement of some of the water if it were perfectly fluid our movements within it and those of fishes etc would be curiously different the whole face of the globe would be strangely altered in many respects i will not now follow up this idea but leave it as a suggestion for the reader to work out for himself by considering what would remain undone upon the earth if water flowed perfectly without any internal resistance or friction upon the Earth's surface. The degrees of approach to perfect fluidity vary greatly with different liquids. Is there any such a thing as an absolute solid, or a body that has no degree of fluidity? The particles or parts of which will admit of no change of their relative positions, no movement upon each other without fracture of the mass. This was constitute perfect rigidity, or the opposite to fluidity take a piece of copper or soft iron wire about one-eighth of an inch in diameter or thereabouts and bend it backwards and forwards a few times as rapidly as possible but without breaking it then without loss of time feel the portion that has been bent it is hot painfully so if the experiment is smartly made how may this be explained it is evident that in the act of bending there must have been a displacement of the relative positions of the particles of the metal and the force demanded from the bending indicated their resistance to this movement upon each other or in other words that there was friction between them or something equivalent to such internal friction and thus the mechanical force exerted in the bending was converted into heat force here then with fluidity according to the above definition not perfect fluidity but fluidity attended with resistance to flow or what we have agreed to call viscosity but water also offers such resistance to flow or viscosity therefore the difference between iron or copper wire and liquid water as regards their fluidity is only a difference of degree and not of kind the demarcation between solids and liquids is not a broad clearly defined line but a band of blending shade the depth of tint representing varying degrees of viscosity multitudes of examples may be cited illustrating the viscosity of bodies that we usually regard as types of solidity such for example as the rocks forming the earth's crust in the black country of south staffordshire which is undermined by a great ten-yard coal seam cottages chimney shafts and other buildings may be seen leaning over most grotesquely houses split down the middle by the subsidence or inclination of one side great hollows in the field or across roads that were once flat and a variety of other distortions due to the gradual sinking of the rock strata that has been undermined by the colliery workings in some cases the rocks are split but usually the subsidence is a bending or flowing down of the rocks to fill up the vacuity as water fills a hollow or find its own level i have seen many cases of the downward curvature of a roof of a coal pit and have been told that in some cases the surrounding pressure causes the floor to curve upward but have not seen this earthquakes afford another example the so-called solid crust of the earth is upheaved and cast into positive billows that wave away on all sides from the centre of disturbance the earth billows of the great lisbon earthquake of seventeen fifty five travelled to this country and when they reached loch lomond were still of sufficient magnitude to raise and lower its banks through a perpendicular range of two feet four inches it is quite possible or i may say probable that there are tides of the earth as well as of the waters and the subject has occupied much attention and raised some discussion among mathematicians if the earth has a fluid centre and only a comparatively thin crust as some supposed there must be such tides produced by the gravitation of the moon and sun ice presents some interesting results of this viscosity at a certain height varying with latitude aspect etc we reach the snow-line of mountain slopes above which the snow of winter remains unmelted during summer and in most cases goes on accumulating It soon loses its flocculent, flaky character and becomes coherent, clear blue ice by the pressure of its own weight. A rather complex theory has been propounded to explain this change. The theory of regelation, i.e. refreezing. A theory which assumes that the pressure first thaws a film of ice at the surface of contact and that presently this refreezes and thus effects a healing or general solidification faraday found that two pieces of ice with moistened surfaces united if pressed together when at just above the temperature of freezing but not if much colder tyndall has further illustrated this by taking fragments of ice and squeezing them in a mould whereby they become a clear transparent ball or cake schoolboys did the like long before when snowballing with snow at about the thawing point such snow as we all remember became converted into stony lumps when firmly pressed together we also remember that in much colder weather no such cohesion occurred but our snowballs remained powdery in spite of all our squeezing i am sceptic as regards this theory of regelation. i believe that the true explanation is much simpler that the crystals of snow or fragments of ice in these experiments are simply welded as the smith unites two pieces of iron by merely pressing them together When they are near their melting point, other metals and other fusible substances may be similarly welded, providing they soften or become sufficiently viscous before fusing. Platinum is a good example of this. It is infusible in ordinary furnaces, but becomes pasty before melting, and therefore, one method adopted in the manufacture of platinum ingots or bars from the ore is to precipitate a sort of platinum snow, spongy platinum from its solution in acid, and then compress this metallic snow in red-hot steel molds by means of pistons driven with great force. The flocculent metal thus becomes a solid, coherent mass, just as the flocculent ice becomes a coherent ice in Tyndall's experiment or in making hard snowballs. Wax, pitch, resin, and all other solid that fuses gradually, cohere, are weldable, or in very plain language, stick together when near their fusing point. I have made the following experiment to prove that when this so-called regelation of snow or ice fragments occur, the ice is viscous or plastic like wax or pitch. A strong iron squirt with a cylindrical bore of half an inch in diameter is fitted with an iron piston. This piston is driven forth by a screw working in a collar at one end of the squirt into the other end is screwed a brass nozzle with an aperture about one-twentieth of an inch diameter tapering or opening inwards gradually to the half-inch bore into this bore i place snow or fragments of ice then holding the body of the squirt firmly in a vice i work the lever of the screw and thus drive forward the piston and crush down the snow or ice fragments which presently become coherent and form a half-inch solid cylinder of clear ice applying still more pressure this cylinder is forced like a liquid through the small orifice of the nozzle of the squirt and it jets or spouts out as a thin stick of ice like vermicelli or the leads of ever pointed pencils from the moulding of which the squirt was originally constructed i find that ice at thirty two degrees can thus be squirted more easily than beeswax of the same temperature And such being the case, I see no reason for imagining any complex operation of regelation in the case of ice, but merely regard the addition of two pieces of ice when pressed together as similar to the sticking together of two pieces of cobbler's wax, or softening sealing wax, or beeswax, or the welding of iron or glass when heated to their welding temperatures, i.e. to a certain degree of incipient fluidity or viscosity. If a leaden bullet be cut in half, and the two fresh-cut faces pressed forcibly together, they cohere at ordinary atmospheric temperatures. But we have no occasion for a regulation theory here. The viscosity of the lead accounts for all. At Woolwich Arsenal, there is a monster squirt, similar to my little one. This is charged with lead, and by means of hydraulic pressure, the lead is squirted out of the nozzle as a cylindrical jet of any required diameter this jet or stick of lead is the material of which the elongated cylindrical rifle bullets are now made but returning to the point at which we started at the subject of ice viz its alpine accumulation above the snow line if the snowfall there exceeds the amount that is thawed and evaporated it must either go on growing upward until it reaches the highest atmospheric region from which it falls or is formed or it must descend somehow if snow can be squirted through a syringe by mere hand pressure we are justified in expecting that it would be forced down a hill slope or through a gully or across a plain by the pressure of its own weight when the accumulation is great such is the case and thus are glaciers formed they are strictly speaking rivers or torrents of ice they flow as liquid water does and down the same channels as would carry the liquid surface drainage of the hills were rain to take the place of snow like rivers they flow with varying speed according to the slope like rivers their current is more rapid in the middle than at the sides like rivers they exert the greatest tearing force when squeezed narrow through gullies and like rivers they spread out into lakes where they come upon an open basin-like valley with narrow outlets the justobreys of norway is a great ice lake of this character covering a surface of about five hundred square miles and pouring down its ice torrents on every side wherever there is a notch or valley descending from the tableland, it covers the rate of flow of such downpouring glaciers varies from two or three inches to as many feet per day and they present magnificent examples of the actual fluidity or viscosity of an apparently solid mass this viscosity has been disputed and attempts have been made to otherwise explain the motion of glaciers but while it is possible that it may be assisted by varying expansion and contraction the downflow due to viscosity is now recognised as unquestionably the main factor of glacier motion cascades of ice may be sometimes seen in the course of my first visit to norway i wandered alone over a very desolate mountain region towards the head of the justedal and unexpectedly came upon a gloomy lake the Stijevand, which lies at the foot of a precipice boundary of the great ice-field above named here the ice having no sloping valley trough by which to descend poured over the edge of the precipice as a great overhanging sheet or cornice which bent down as it was pushed forward and presented on the convex side of the sheet some fine blue cracks, or crevices as they are called these gradually widened and deepened until the overhanging mass broke off and fell into the lake on the surface of which i saw the result in the form of several floating icebergs that had previously fallen something like this on a small scale may be seen at home on the edge of a house roof on which there has been an accumulation of snow but in this case it is rather sliding than flowing that has made the cornice but its downbending is a result of viscosity these and a multitude of other facts that might be stated many of which will occur to the reader prove clearly enough that the solid and liquid states of matter are not distinctly and broadly separable but are connected by an intermediate condition of viscosity we now come to the question whether there is any similar continuity between liquids and gases ordinarily experience decidedly suggests a negative answer we can point to nothing within easy reach that has the properties of a liquid and gaseous half and half that stands between gases and liquids as pitch and treacle stands between solids and liquids some perhaps may suggest that cloud matter london fog for example is in such an intermediate state this however is not the case white country fog ordinary clouds or the so-called steam that is seen assuming cloud forms as it issues from the spout of a tea-kettle or the funnel of a locomotive, consists of minute particles of water suspended in air, as solid particles of dust are also suspended. It has been called vesicular vapour on the supposition that it has the form of minute vesicles like soap bubbles on a very small scale, but this hypothesis remains unproven. London Fog consists of similar particles, varnished with a delicate film of coal tar and intersprinkled with particles of soot in order to clearly comprehend the above stated question we must define the difference between liquids and gases in the first place they are both fluids as already agreed what then is the essential difference between liquid fluidity and gaseous fluidity the expert in molecular mathematics discoursing to his chiamatical brethren would produce a tremendous reply to this question he would describe the oscillations gyrations collisions mean free-paths and mutual obstructions of atoms and molecules and by the aid of a maddening array of symbols arrive at the conclusion that gases unless restrained expand of their own accord while liquids retain definite limits or dimensions the matter-of-fact experimentalist demonstrates the same by methods that are easily understood by anyone. I shall therefore, both my own sake and my readers, describe some of the latter. In the first place, we all see plainly that liquids have a surface, i.e. a well-defined boundary, and also that gases, unless enclosed, have not. But as this may be due to the invisibility of gas, we must question it further. The air we breathe may be taken as a type of gases, as water may have liquids. It has weight, as we may prove by weighing a bottle full of air, then pumping out the content, weighing the empty bottle and noting the difference. Having weight it presses towards the earth and is squeezed by all that rests above it. Thus the air around us is constrained air. It is very compressible and is accordingly compressed by the weight of all the air above it. This being understood Let us take a bottle full of water and another full of air and carry them both to the summit of mont blanc or to a similar height in a balloon and we shall then have left nearly half of the atmosphere below and thus both liquid and gas will be under little more than half of the ordinary pressure what will happen if we uncork them both the liquid will still display its definite surface and remain in the bottle but not so the gas It will overflow upwards, downwards or sidewards, no matter how the bottle is held, and if we tied an empty bladder over the neck before uncorking, we should find this overflow or expansion of the gas exactly proportionate to the removal of pressure, provided the temperature remained unaltered. Thus, at half the pressure under which a pint bottle was corked, the air would measure exactly one quart, at one-eighth of the pressure one gallon, and so on. We cannot get high enough for the latter expansion, but can easily imitate the effect of a further evaluation by means of an air pump. Thus, we may put 1 cubic inch of air into a bladder of a 100 cubic inches capacity, then place this under the receiver of an air pump and reduce the pressure outside the bladder to 1 hundredth of its original amount. With such Atmospheric surrounding, the one cubic inch of air will plump out the flaccid bladder and completely fill it. The pumpability of the air from the receiver shows that it goes on overflowing from it into the piston of the pump as fast as its own elastic pressure on itself is diminished. End of chapter 50, recorded by Cadia Battersby.